Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you. Uh, this week, I had the privilege of uh, spending some time uh, with our staff team. Uh, we had a, went to a, a conference that was a two-day conference, which is uh, right up my alley as far as how long I can handle, so two days was perfect. And uh, we had a two-day conference, and it was a bunch of church leaders gathered, um, and it was a great time of just encouragement, being able to worship, uh, receive some teaching. And uh, one of the things that happens often at these conferences is there's a bunch of pastors and people who work in churches, is inevitably there's people there who are coming in, who are serving God, they're working in churches, and they're burned out, and they're tired, and a lot of people are there thinking, I don't know if I can do this another day. And, um, you know, it's a sad reality, but it's true, is that many people who begin a life of serving and working in ministry never finish their career serving and working in ministry. Either they quit, uh, uh, something happens, you know, sometimes there's moral failures. There's just a lot that happens. And, and in a room like that, where we were able to be with a thousand other people who are trying to do what we're trying to do, it, it breaks my heart to know that there's many there who are just thinking, I can't, I don't think I can make it any further. Um, and, that, and the theme for this week that kept coming up was this theme of be where God has called you. And when is the last time as a pastor did you wake up excited to say, hey, it's Sunday morning. I'm glad it's Sunday morning because so many people wake up and say, oh, it's Sunday morning, those who work in the church. And I got to say, I felt a little bit um, selfish, I guess. And I've shared with you before, but I felt selfish because when I'm hearing the fr frustrations and struggles of others, I'm thinking, I love showing up on Sunday. I can't wait till Sunday because I, I actually love my church. I love the staff that I get to work with. I love the city that we're in, the perfect city that has no issues. It's so great to work there. <laughs> and, and, and for me, I just, would, and a lot of our staff team felt the same. It's just, it was so encouraging to be there and be reminded, like, we have work to do, but God has called us to a great place, and we get to journey with you. So, I, I, you know, why we care about the global church, we pray for our brothers and sisters who work in churches all across Encinitas, North County, and the ends of the earth, because it's a tough job. Um, so we want to pray with them, journey with them, um, but I also want you to know we're grateful to be with you. We love to be here serving you and serving this city. So um, it was so thank you for sending us. Um, I know you don't know you sent us, but you did. So thanks for sending your team, your staff team to that conference this week. Uh, we are in a series uh, called Myths About God and Faith, and I've really enjoyed this series because in this series, uh, we're really processing things that I think are felt needs out there. Uh, one of the things I like to do is uh, I stay pretty involved in the community. I'm on the board for Little League and do a lot of coaching. Um, I play in a basketball league, one, to stay in shape somewhat, but also because I want to I, I see if this stuff works in real life. And so I get to talk, and, and I've been trying out a lot of these things with my non-Christian friends, say, hey, we're preaching on this, what do you think? And they're like, quit preaching to me. I'm like, I'm testing it on you, come on, um, while we play basketball. But it's been really fun to see how much this is actually resonating. Um, and today's myth, as I was thinking about it, I was thinking all the way back to when I became a Christian, I was a high schooler, and I was living in St. Louis, and um, I was the kind of kid who I was into your traditional sports. I liked playing football, basketball, baseball. That was the rhythm of, of my life. Um, but I had a friend that I met there who became a very close, dear friend of mine, and he's one of those friends that I, I love him, but I hate him. You guys have friends like that? And the reason I do is because no matter what he did, he could do it better than me. Anyone know someone like that? Someone, anyone like that? 
Yeah, okay, no. Um, it's the type of person that if you said, hey, you've never been surfing, I'm gonna take you surfing and show you what's up. And they borrow your board and they, surf, they do better than you. And you're just like, I'm not doing that again. I'm not. So he was that kind of guy. And he was, um, he was into BMX bikes and then he got into skateboarding and he got me into skating. And, um, and I realized there was a big difference between traditional sports and skating. Traditional sports, there's a lot of machismo and you kind of like, uh, you know, a lot of trash talking and stuff, which is part of the fun. Um, but in skateboarding, he actually was the most encouraging guy I ever met. I'd learn a new trick. He'd be like, that's so great. Come on, let's keep going. He, he was just like, I'm like, even you're nice too? Like, what's wrong with you? And he, he was that kind of guy. Um, I moved away right after I became a Christian, and then uh, in college, I had, we stayed in touch a little bit, and in college, I had an opportunity to go back. I was in St. Louis, and we hung out for a while, and I remember the last night that I was there hanging out, and um, the night, I had to fly out that night, and I met him at where he was working at the time. I think it was at like a Target, and we were hanging out in the parking lot of a Target late at night, and I had one of those moments where I was kind of, I wanted to share with him like how much Christ has changed my life, and I had one of those like, you know, awkward, like, I want to tell you something about something that changed my life, you know, just like, how do I get to this? How do I just have this conversation with you? And, and I finally just said, like, hey, I just really want to let you know, like, I, I feel compelled to tell you what a difference Christ has made in my life and kind of shared. And he heard that and he was really gracious. And he said, yeah, you know, for me, I've gotten into uh, martial arts. And for me, that's what's changed my life. And I heard it and I just kind of thought like, ah, oh, and as I thought about that, I thought, is Jesus the same as that? Is Jesus just my way of having a better life? Is it the same maybe for some that it's martial arts or it's hot yoga and drinking some kombucha or whatever it might be? Is, is there a path to an enlightenment and Jesus is just, you know, he's just a moral teacher that's made a difference in my life, but someone else might find a different difference. And I walked away there just kind of thinking, man, I hope Jesus is more than that. And the myth that we're looking at today is that myth that says Jesus was just a good moral teacher. You see, there's this thought out there, even the Quran, the Muslims in their holy book talks about Jesus being a good man, a prophet to be respected and admired. We see that Gandhi loved Jesus, or he liked Jesus at least. He said, he's the one who actually said, I like Christ, I just don't like Christians. Um, Oprah likes Jesus. She talks about Jesus a lot. She really likes him. He's a good guy. Um, we even know that Jesus, for a lot of people, is their homeboy. If you've seen the, these t-shirts here that are out there, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy. So th these were popular a few years ago. Uh, and, and so this idea of Jesus is, he's liked by a lot of people. He's a good person. But is he more than a homeboy for you? Is Jesus just a good moral teacher, or is he something more, more transformative? And for many of us here in this room, I, I would be willing to bet that many of you say, no, no, I think he's more. I think he's God. I think there's more to who Jesus is. But the question we're going to wrestle with today is, if he is God, do we live like he's God, or do we live like he's a good moral teacher? Because it's one thing to say we believe it. It's another thing to live like we believe it. And so we're going to wrestle with that today and answer the question of why do we believe differently than this myth? The truth that we believe is Jesus is fully God, and he lived among us as a human. He died for our sins, he rose again, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. See, we believe that Jesus is much more than just a moral teacher. 
And though I love my friend and I respect him, and he even became a university professor, I'm like, seriously, you even got smarter than me? What is going on? But I have to disagree that his martial arts master is the same as Jesus and doesn't make the same difference. There's something more. And so today we want to ask the question of why we believe this, but then also what difference does it make? So let me begin with offering you a few thoughts. The first, the first thing we need to do is we need to ask, what did the first Christians believe about Jesus? Because there's a lot of thoughts out there, and there's people who want to change what the Bible says. In fact, they say that we, as Christians, have changed what the Bible said. Some people say that because Scripture wasn't written while Jesus was walking around on earth, that we kind of made it fit with what we want it to say and what we want it to believe. But so we want to ask the first question, well, what did the first followers of Jesus think about him? Did they think he was just a moral teacher and a good guy, or was there something more? So let me offer you a few thoughts. First thing is this. What did the first Christians believe about him? They believe that Jesus is God and Savior. Uh, we find it in their writings. Now, you could say, well, I don't trust the Bible. And if you don't trust the Bible, uh, that's fine for this morning. We trust the Bible. Here we talked about it a couple weeks ago about why we want to trust the Bible. But according to the writers of the New Testament, the first Christians, the very first earliest writings affirmed and talked about Jesus is God and Savior. In fact, just the fact that 10 of Jesus's first 12 disciples were martyred and killed for their faith, believed that he was probably more than just a moral teacher, a good guy. Most people don't want to die for a good guy and be tortured and sentenced to death and to see their family and their fam uh, friends and people who are being uh, murdered for belief in a good guy. But they believe that he was God and Savior. Now, if you like to take notes, I've included an outline. It has extra verses on it. I, we don't have time to get into all of them today. I'll mention a few and, and point you to a, uh, just a few from each of this. But Colossians 2.9, Paul is writing. He talks about Jesus is the uh, radiance or he is the uh, God in flesh, that he uh, is the image of the invisible God. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, so Peter, Jesus' right-hand man, the guy who spent three-plus years with him, who hung out with him, who got to know him very well, G Peter writes, and he called Jesus our God and Savior, literally calls him out, says Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. The author of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, I have this on the screen for you. The author of Hebrews is writing to the Jewish population, and, and all the first Christians, most of them were all Jews, um, at least early, early on. And so the author of Hebrews is writing very early on and said, the Son of God, so Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory, the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty or the Father on high. So we find the early Christians were pretty clear on their belief. This is not something that was changed or manipulated hundreds of years later as some scholars would want you to believe. But this is from the very beginning. They were writing these things and we have copies of old manuscripts that have shown the consistency of scripture from the beginning. So the early Christians believed that Jesus was God and Savior. Now, the other part that they believed is they believed that he lived his life as a human. Now, why do we say that? Uh, the earliest writings don't make this distinction so much. They don't have to focus on it. But by the end of the first century, we find that there was what, a heresy was popping up saying like, well, we believe that Jesus was God, but, but all things in flesh are evil. 
And since flesh is evil, we don't believe that Jesus, how could God have existed in flesh? That doesn't make sense. So there was a heresy that said he just kind of appeared in theophanies, and, and he, he looked like he was walking among us, but he wasn't walking around in flesh. So as the later New Testament books started popping up here by the end of the first century, they were focusing more on, no, you have to see the difference. You have to understand, too, that Jesus actually was also God in flesh, He lived life as a human. One of the most clear passages for that is in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. I have this for you on the screen. This was actually an early Christian hymn. So when they were singing worship, this was one of probably uh, one of their worship songs. And so this is uh, dating back to, this is a writing of Paul, but probably dates back even before Paul. It's not original with him. And this is what they believed and sang about Jesus in their worship service with drums and guitars and all that stuff going on here. They sang. They said, Jesus existed in the form of God. He did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he'd come as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So Paul writes that. We find that uh, the other authors throughout the New Testament, we have Matthew, uh, one of his disciples who wrote about the life of Jesus, starts with the birth of Jesus. Luke, who later investigated all kinds of historical accounts to try to find the most uh, clear idea of who Jesus was, starts with the birth of Jesus. And the book of John, he, called, he actually says that God became flesh and dwelled among us. So the early Christians had no uh, qualms about believing that Jesus existed In flesh. Even the Jewish historian Josephus, who was not a Christian, wrote and said Jesus was a man who lived and existed and was crucified by Pontius Pilate and he was rumored to raise again. So even secular historians said Jesus existed in flesh. And the early church believed that. Now we'll get to that in a minute of why that matters. Now, so that's what the early church believed about him. Now, some people, though, will say, well, what did Jesus think about him? Maybe they were wrong. Maybe they assumed wrong. Maybe they misunderstood who Jesus was. So the question is, what does Jesus think about himself? And um, I remember one time I was taking a group of, when I was a youth pastor, I had a group of students, and we were doing some inner city mission in Seattle. And some of the students started talking with this man in a park uh, about Jesus. And he looked at them, and he said, you know what, I, I just don't believe that Jesus was God. You show me one place in the Bible where Jesus actually believed he was God. When did he say he was God? Find it for me and I'll believe. And they all just said like, uh, Ryan, <laughs> come over here. <laughs> but see, this is very common. And people say, Jesus never said, I am God. And truthfully, he never uttered the words in the Gospels. He never said, I am God. But make no mistake, that Jesus declared that he was God over and over again. He just didn't declare it in a way that would have been misunderstood. See, in the Greco-Roman world, if Jesus was teaching and he was performing miracles and said, I'm God, the Romans and Greeks would have heard him and said, oh, he's a God, sure, whatever. In the ancient world, that didn't matter to them. They didn't care. There's people who claim to be God all the time. But to the Jewish followers and believers, there was only one God. And he, he, Jesus came and he was saying, I'm a fulfillment of all the prophecies. I am God in flesh. I'm the Messiah who's come. That's a bigger deal. So every time Jesus proclaimed to be God, he did it in a very Hebraic way that the Jews understood clearly. 
If you read through your Gospels, note every time they pick up rocks and want to kill Jesus. It wasn't because he said, I'm a good moral teacher. They didn't care about that. It was when he said things like, I forgive your sins. They said, whoa, whoa, Jesus, only God can forgive sins. And he went, now you're on to something. (laughs) And they wanted to kill him after he did that. So Jesus believed that he was God and Savior. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of John chapter 8. The book of John chapter 8, we have this great dialogue between Jesus and some of the Jews. And this is starting in, uh, we'll look at starting in verse 31. I'm not going to read all of it. I just want to talk you through the story. So a debate kind of pops up. And Jesus was saying to all those who were listening to him and who believed in him. And he was saying, hey, if you continue in my word, you're disciples of mine. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And, and so then some were kind of answering to Jesus and arguing with him, saying, well, we're, we're Abraham's descendants, and we've never been enslaved to anyone, so how is it that you say we're going to be free? What are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus goes on and says, anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And he goes on into verse, uh, later on in verse 38, he says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Sorry, verse 36. And you, I will know that you are Abraham's descendants. Uh, it, it, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things that you've heard from your father. Now, he's having this debate with them who are saying, Jesus, I'm not sure. What, what are you talking about? We're descendants of Abraham. He's our father. That's just a way of saying they're, they're part of the family of the, the Jewish faith. And Jesus is my father's God, the father in heaven. And he said, yeah, you, you don't believe me because you're part of your father. Now, here's where Jesus gets into, uh, he didn't read the book, How to Make Friends and Influence People, by the way. Because as Jesus goes on and he, he starts talking to them and they're saying, no, our father's Abraham. Jesus actually then says, well, actually, look at verse 44. You are of your father, the devil. I mean, that's a great way to start a conversation with people when he's like, you're having trouble believing in me? The reason is because your father's actually Satan. <laughs> so of course you don't understand. Of course your ears, because Satan tells lies and you're lying. You don't trust who I am. You're, you're misbelieving because you're actually not children of God. So at that point, jump down to verse 48. So you can see this debate is going really well. <laughs> Jesus pulled out the your sons of Satan card. And in verse 48, the Jews answered and say to Jesus, do we not rightly say that you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? See, see how this is going? Isn't this great? Jesus, is it, is it true? You're a Samaritan? Oh, and you have a demon? <laughs> is that true? Now, a couple things there. The Samaritan to the Jews, uh, they, were, they would consider them half Jews. And they were racists. They hated the Samaritans. They said the Samaritans didn't fit with who we are. We're the true people of God. So not only do they say Jesus has a demon, but they say a very racist thing, like, oh, aren't you just a Samaritan? Why would we even listen to you? You're not significant. You're not as important as us. Jesus doesn't even bother jumping into that. He could. He could talk about his genealogy, but he doesn't. He just addresses what they're really trying to say, and he says, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. But I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. 
So Jesus is trying to get them back on track here. I'm talking about setting you free. I'm talking about giving you life. If you believe in me, you can have eternal life. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have, now we know you have a demon because Abraham died and the prophets also. And now you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Surely you're not greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died too. Who do you make yourself out to be? So we get to the heart of the question. Jesus, who do you think you are? Who are you? Who are you, Jesus? We Just say it. And Jesus says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. In other words, I, I don't need to, to elevate myself here. It is my Father who glorifies me, the same one of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. <laughs> Love it. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. So Jesus here is now referring to Abraham and a promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that said, through you one day, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It was a messianic prophecy that's saying through your descendants, the Messiah will come and bring blessing to the whole world. So Abraham rejoiced, was waiting, longing for my day, and now he, he saw it and he rejoiced. So, verse 57, the Jews said to Jesus, you are not yet 50 years old, and, have you, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, I don't know if you picked up on that, but in English, we kind of miss what just happened. In fact, in English, it's terrible grammar. Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. You know, you grammar nerds, you would say, that's wrong, Jesus. That's not how you would say it. It's, I was, or whatever, I don't know. But what Jesus is saying is something very profound. See, all the way back in Exodus chapter 3, there's a story about Moses, who's known as the greatest prophet of, the, of Israel. And Moses had this image, he saw this burning bush. It's a very popular story that people inside and outside the church know of the story of the burning bush. And, and it was when God appears to Moses in a burning bush and says, hey, I want you to come and set your people free. The people of Israel were slaves in Egypt and he wanted them to deliver them and give them freedom. Sound familiar to what Jesus was doing? Delivering us and giving us freedom. So he, God goes to Moses, asks him to do it. Moses was arguing with God and finally says, okay, if I go... I need to know your name. Verse 13 of Exodus chapter 3. Moses said, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel. I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they will say to me, What is his name? What should I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now again, not very good grammar. <laughs> doesn't work very well. But what God was really saying is this is a Hebrew phrase. It's ihyeh asher ihyeh. I am what I am. Now in Hebrew, we don't even use the words, the terminology of I am. It's not even a word you really use. So if I said I am tall, I would say I tall. There isn't an am word in Hebrew. So it's I tall, I strong, I great looking. So um, whatever it might be. 
This is an illustration, you know. But so I am, so this phrase, ichie, asher ichie, is very strange in Hebrew even. So strange that what God was saying was, I want you to know that before all things, I am. I am the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the creator and sustainer of all things. Whatever you can imagine about God, I am. I am so much more than the box you could put me in or a name that you could give me. It couldn't quite describe who I am. So if you want to know who's sending you, Ichie is sending you. That's who's sending you. And this is the same terminology in Hebrew where, we get, where they get the word Yahweh. It's the same letters. We're not even sure if you just say it Yahweh because to the Jews, it was, you were to revere the name so much that you couldn't even say it out loud. You wouldn't utter the name Yahweh. When I studied and lived in Hebrew at Hebrew University, even when we'd come to a passage or write something about Yahweh, we learned to just write with a symbol. So even if I'm reading Hebrew and I see the symbol, automatically in my, name, in my head it translates to Adonai, which is a lower word for Lord or Yahweh. We don't, they don't say Yahweh to this day. And so when you have this phrase here, this is the name that's been given to God, and Yahweh is the creator God. It's not a small g God. It's to, so to the Jews, if you say Ichieh, or you said Yahweh, I am, you're talking about the God who created all things, who is before all things, and will be forever God. So that's the framework here. So in John chapter 8, when they say Jesus, all right, let's just, who are you? He said I am Ichie. And in English, it doesn't have much of a meaning. If someone were to tell you, if you were hanging out on the street and someone said, I'm God, you'd probably be like, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. In fact, I've had people tell me they were God. I had great conversations with them. But to a Jew, to have someone not just say, I'm a God, but says, oh, I'm Yahweh. Who am I? Ichie it would have blown them away. This was not a small thing. This was shocking. And so their response was they picked up stones to kill him. You don't pick up stones to kill a madman. You pick up stones to someone who claims to be God. To the Jews, that was blasphemy at the highest level. So, did Jesus think he was God? The answer is yes. He believed that he was God and Savior, calling on the, giving the name Yahweh to himself. He's calling himself the great I am. He was associating with every passage in the Hebrew scriptures that talks about who Yahweh is. And in your Bibles, when you have the all capitalized L-O-R-D, Lord, that's Yahweh. It's translated that way so that they wouldn't say the name of God. So look at everything about who God is, the Lord is, throughout Hebrew scriptures. That's what Jesus was saying. That's me. Isaiah 45, where he says, there is, I am the God. There is none other like me. I am your God and Savior. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess my name. Jesus claimed that right here in John 8, 58. Not ambiguous at all. So Jesus believed he was God and Savior. The next thing is this. Jesus also believed that he was God in human flesh. He understood that he lived. Now, that doesn't sound too profound. Like, yeah, he, it wouldn't be hard for him to understand. But Jesus intentionally did a lot of things so people could see that he was flesh and not just spirit. When he ate together with people, when he made food. One of the most famous passages, I love it, in John chapter 20. 
Jesus rose from the dead, and one of the disciples, Thomas, said, I don't believe, I don't believe that Jesus is back from the dead. And Thomas, I actually really love Thomas. He gets a bad rap. He gets his name Doubting Thomas. I just think it's like, you know, he's just an intellect. He's like apologetic Thomas. He wants to know truth. So he says, unless I get to stick my finger in, the, in his wounds, I won't believe. Kind of gruesome, but I like it. I like that kind of guy. So Jesus appears and shows up to Thomas, and this is what he says. He said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. I love that. Jesus says, like, you want to stick? Yeah, come here. This is pretty gross. Come here. Stick your finger in this. Yeah, see? It actually was a hole there. Jesus says, I want you to see, Thomas, I'm alive. It's flesh and blood. I'm back. And Thomas responds, my Lord and my God. So throughout scripture, we find that the early church and Jesus agreed that he was God and Savior, and he lived and existed among us. This is what we've in, in uh, academia call now the trilemma. Not the dilemma, trilemma. There's three options. C.S. Lewis made this argument popular, but it actually existed long before C.S. Lewis. Um, there's a rabbi in the 18th century who came up with this trilemma idea. But the idea is this. You have three choices of what to do with Jesus. One is we believe that he is God, and so we can trust all that he said and believe all that he promised. If it is true that Jesus is God, then everything that he said is something we should be able to trust, and everything he promised we should be able to believe. If he really is God as described in the Bible, that, that's significant. So we believe that he's God as one choice. The second choice is this. He's not God, and he was just delusional. He just thought he was God, but he really wasn't. He was kind of a madman. The question we have to wrestle with then is, would the first followers of Jesus have given their lives for a madman? Would the church of Jesus explode and grow at the rate that it grew if it was all centered on a madman? We've seen different, even in our time, in our day, we've seen different cults pop up that are based on people who we might argue were madmen, and sometimes it ends with Kool-Aid or whatever kinds of things it ends with, but those aren't people that have created global movements. So he's either God, or he's a madman, or the third choice. He is not God. He was not delusional. He was a liar. Everything he said he knew wasn't true. He just told you, and he was a liar. And if he's a liar, would he be a good moral teacher? Someone to trust? Someone to follow? So C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity writes this way. I love how he puts it succinctly. C.S. Lewis writes, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept, and that is, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says that he's a poached egg, <laughs> or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something even worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, 
or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he never intended to. Pretty clear and succinct. How do we respond to Jesus? See, when I was thinking back to when I first became a Christian, many of you know the story, so I won't give you all the details, but I grew up in a, in a home of loving parents who were Christian. We went to church every Sunday morning. I don't remember anything from it except for it was way too long. That's what I remembered. And, uh, and, and you know, I grew up in the military, so depending on what religion the chaplain was, that's what denomination we were. So I remember one week we were Lutheran, and that guy got transferred, and we became Baptist. So um, that's kind of how it worked growing up for us. It was just something you did. But I had loving parents, came to all of our games, cared for us. I have every reason in the world to believe in Jesus. But I didn't really know the story. I didn't really understand anything. And when I was in high school, um, my parents made me go to an evangelistic event. I've shared that with you before if you've heard the story. But I remember being at the event and um, just really getting so excited about the news. And I didn't even become a Christian right away at it. But I was really excited about it. In fact, I remember going home that weekend on Saturday night. I was hanging out with a friend of mine, and my friend was drinking beer that night. I was looking at him, telling him all about everything about Jesus that I just learned. And I wasn't a Christian. I'm like, and then we did this and this. And, and he's like, that sounds like something I should go to. I'm like, yeah, you probably should. Like, as a non-Christian evangelist, I was good. So, um, <laughs> but I was really excited, but it, it, but it took a year for life change to happen. But so Monday, after the conference, I showed up at school, and one of the Christian kids from the conference was wearing a t-shirt that had a picture of Jesus' hand and a nail through it and some blood on it, and it said something like, either he chose the nails or he bled for you, or I don't even remember what it said, I remember the image. And I was talking with him, I was kind of, you had a good weekend, and the vice principal of discipline walked up and saw us and said, hey, you can't wear that shirt. Now, I assumed immediately that he was talking to me because he had made me change shirts all the time because I used to wear band shirts, and apparently you couldn't have, like, drug paraphernalia or girls on your shirts. So, um, and, and so he, he would often tell me I couldn't wear these things. And so he came up and said, you can't wear this shirt. And I'm like, it's a, I can, it's a black shirt. What are you talking about? He goes, not you. And he looked at my Christian friend wearing a Christian shirt and said, he can't wear that shirt. And this friend has probably never been in trouble a day in his life. I knew the vice principal quite well. We were friends. Um, <laughs> And I looked at him, I was like, why can't he wear that shirt? I'm speaking up for him. He goes, well, because it's violent. And I said, what are you talking about? I go, that's just, a, that's Jesus' hand bleeding. And he's like, you can't wear that. I'm like, Jesus died for you, bro. Come on. <laughs> Turns out he didn't like when I called him bro. But, um, <laughs> and I just remember at the time, I wasn't even a Christian, but I knew that like, if this, if everything I just heard this weekend was real, and, and if this t-shirt was right, then that's something worth fighting for. That's something that, that changes a lot of things. And as I said, it took me a year. It was a full year after that weekend before I became a Christian. And it, I think I believed, but I wasn't ready because I knew if I say yes to this, that's going to make a difference. I want to make sure I'm all in. I'm the kind of guy that it's all or nothing, my wife will tell you. Like, I'm, if I have the saying that if it's worth doing, it's worth doing in abundance, uh, which is not always good. But it's, you know, if I think of like, if barbecue sauce is good, you can't put too much on ribs to make it not good. It's, if it's good, you can put as much as you want. It's, I'm always all in, it's all or nothing. So that's how I looked at faith. 
And so as I think about this, if Jesus is God, what difference does that make in our lives? I have a few things that if this is true, here's three thoughts for us today. First is it makes a difference for salvation. If Jesus is God, then we can be saved from our sins. His sacrifice was sufficient for all of humanity. If he was just a moral teacher, then his sacrifice means nothing for your sins and mine. It doesn't do anything to make us right in the eyes of God because it would be insufficient to cover all humanity. But if he was God, our creator standing in our place, it's sufficient. So it matters for salvation. The Easter story would just be an inspirational story about somebody making the ultimate sacrifice for people. But does that really change lives? It might influence us a little bit, but it's change everything. So for salvation, it matters. Second thing it matters for is transformation. Ravi Zacharias says this, the biggest difference between Jesus and the great moral teachers who were deified by man is this. Those teachers came to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people live. You see, because Jesus was God, if we can look at his words and believe them, this isn't just to make us better versions of ourselves. His goal was not that we become good people. He wanted to take us from the, the deadness of our sin and give us life. It wasn't just to be better. It's to be transformed by Jesus. Now, I'm not, God knows we can't all be spiritual Navy SEALs, right? It's like we have this view of Christianity and think like, oh, I need to sell my house and everything and just live on the streets because all for Jesus. Like some of you, maybe, if God's calling you to that, yes. But he wants you where you're at and wants to tra- change and radically shape your life in the life where you're at, where you are, with your family, your marriage, your relationships, the way you run your business, the way you interact with your spouse, the way you interact with your neighbors. Jesus wants to transform all that right where you are. And the question for us is, if he's just a great moral teacher, maybe it changes some areas. But when he's God, it changes everything. If we are to really believe that he is who he says he is, that also in Hebrews chapter 4 says that we have a great high priest who understands. He lived a life that we lived yet without sin. So therefore, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Our God has lived the life that we lived. He sacrificed for us, and he knows that you're going to mess this up from time to time. But he says, approach the throne of grace with confidence because we can believe that every, if Jesus is who he says he is, we can trust everything he said and believe everything he promised. And when he said, I will never leave you or forsake you, we can believe it. When he says, if you believe in me, you can have eternal life, we can believe it. When he says that, follow me and I, want, I come to give you life, the thief comes to steal, kill, or destroy, I want to give you life, we can trust that true life is found in Christ. Now let me tell you this, some people will say, they have this view of Jesus and think that, Uh, following Jesus is just a crutch. It makes life easier. Oh, you Christians just want to believe in Jesus because life is so much easier. He's your crutch. I don't think that's the God of the Bible. I don't think Jesus makes life much easier. I would have so much more money if I didn't give money to the kingdom and mission of God. It would be a lot easier if I didn't do that. I would have so much more time if I didn't give time to the kingdom of God. He hasn't made things much easier. 
Even one of the speakers this weekend was talking, and he says, we have this view of Jesus like this kind of pale-faced guy who walks around in a perfectly white robe holding a little lamb. He's saying, like, I just want you to have a good life. Just, you know, I love you. It's all good. That's like our view of who Jesus was. Now, Jesus does call us his sheep, and in Matthew, he says, hey, like sheep, I love you, and I send you out among wolves to the slaughter. Boom, go, live for me. That's the life Jesus called us to. He didn't say, oh, yeah, this is easy. He said, I'm going to radically change the world when you surrender to me. So we have salvation, we have transformation, and finally, assurance. In Jesus, we have a full assurance. We have assurance that even in our worst days, that the good news applies to us. And even on your best days, you're still in need of a savior, and we can look and say the good news means that my whole life to this point, Jesus is the one. He's the giver of life. And he's the one who changes us and transforms us. It's not a good moral teacher that I can work to live up to, but it's the life of Christ in me that's transforming me. And we have full assurance. If Jesus is God, again, we can, he can be trusted in all he said and believed in all he promised. You know, recently we had someone from Seacoast who uh, passed away, um, Ellen Falk, and I remember um, I had the privilege of spending time with her a week before she passed away, and talked to her when she was uh, laying in bed and just saying, I said, hey, are you ready for this? And she was weak and, and could barely lift her hands, but she lifted her hand up and pointed up and said, I'm so ready, I'm get, I get to see Jesus really soon. I can't wait to see Jesus. I asked if, you know, do you have any fear? What's it? And she said, no, I'm ready. I can't wait to see Jesus. That was a picture of someone with full assurance. Full assurance that she knew where she was going. And she believed that if Jesus was who he said he was, that there's a life waiting for her for eternity. So as we end our time here today and we think of who Jesus was and who he is, the question we have to wrestle with is this. Is he your moral teacher? Or is he your God? Is he the one who just gives you some good instructions to follow and to think about? Is he the one who maybe makes you feel a little guilt when you look around and realize there's people doing it better than you? Or is he the one who sets you free from performance? Is he the one who wants to say, I want to transform everything in your life, but let it be about me? Is he your God? Or is he your guru this morning? Because I don't know about you, but when Jesus is my God, and when we understand him as our God, he wants to do a work among us. He wants to do a work in your family. He wants to do a work in your neighborhood, in your community, in your business. He wants to do a work with our friends and the non-Christians who we live among. He wants them to see hope that's only in him. He doesn't want to be your guru. He wants to be your God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that, Lord, we, we misunderstand you so often. 
But I thank you that even when we misunderstand you and when we treat you like our, our guru and we teach you, when we treat you like just our, our moral leader, Lord, that you still give us grace. But Lord, we, we want to be people who respond to you as our God. A God who loves us, who promises life, who promises eternity, who says he'll never leave us or forsake us. Lord, we want to proclaim you as God this morning. So I ask that you'd meet us where we're at. And Lord, for anyone who's struggling to take that step, would you give us the faith today to trust that you are who you said you are? We give you this time.